Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. For more information and to donate online, go to 3cr.org.au. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. 3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders past and present and emerging of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning! You are listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR. The time is 7am. In the studio today we have me, Zoya. We have George. We have Chris, who's going to do our news headlines, but most... Most importantly, <laughs> she's back. We thought Greece had taken her. We thought she was. We thought that she was just going to be hanging out in the islands just forever. But she's back. I thought so too. Anya <laughs> is back. Yes, I am. Oh. Good morning. And she is so excited. She even is enjoying the instant coffee that she made for herself. It's true. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. And the weather. A lot of, lot of lies this morning, guys. <laughs> <laughs> never lies. Lot of fibs out. Your own radio. Said, she literally yeah, said, "Oh, this tastes really good." Oh, I love That's how much you missed the yeah. <laughs> It's so true. I, I did miss Melbourne coffee, even the instant one. I think. <laughs> I heard this joke once that was like, um, "You know, you're back in Australia when you no longer hear Australians complaining about how they can't find a decent coffee." Yeah. yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> Actually, that was me. That was me on my trip. Oh, that's that's yeah, me every time I go back to the UK. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. yeah, you're back from your trip as well. Oh, yeah, you were off. As yeah. Welcome back. I mean, Sorry, nobody welcomes you. He doesn't get a cool welcome like that. Well, you, you dialed no. in. It was I dialed in. No, I, exactly. It was fine. I was also was back fine. last week, so it's yeah. <laughs> George I and I crushed it while you guys were off. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's true. Mm. There's no lies there. <laughs> no, that's true. <laughs> okay, so what do we have on the show today? We've got a packed show. It's huge. So we really need to get going, don't we? No more banter. Everyone, it's a business, <laughs> serious business. Impossible, but okay. No more chats. I'll turn my mic off. All right. Oh, okay. <laughs> Well, at 7.15, we've got Helen Matthews, who's um, from the Women's Legal Service Victoria, um, joining us to discuss the safety first in family law reform, which um, got a bit of traction in the media this week because of Rosie Batty's involvement. Mm. So we'll talk about that. At 7.30, I'll be interviewing um, Tony Briffer, who is the um, uh, director of Intersex Human Rights Australia. It was Intersex Human Rights Day on the 26th of October. So we'll be talking about that and intersex rights more generally. Mm. At 7.45, we're talking to Adam Palmer, who's the campaigner of the petition called Help Newlands Now. Um, Newlands Primary School is a multi-purpose building, which is on the chopping block. So he's going to come in and talk to us about what we can do to save that school. At about 8, we're talking to Dania Hawat from the Australian Lebanese United Movement about the protests in Lebanon, what's happening, what's the way forward, what we can do to help, etc. Looking forward to learning more about that, mm. definitely. And then after that, we'll be talking to Richard Weston, who's the CEO of SNAKE, the Secretariat of National Aboriginal and Islander Child Care, about a new report that was released called Family Matters concerning the increased increased numbers of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children in 
childcare, out, out of, in out of home care, sorry. Mm. So what, what the various organisations are doing to try and address that issue. Amazing. Yep. It's an incredible show. Big <laughs> show, big show. So big you've got show. some big boots full. You've got to set it up. Yeah. First. Well, <laughs> Jesus, I've got to do it in like two minutes as well. I'm going to be out of here. Um, the top story, it's it's a weird one actually this morning, but do, does anyone remember Erin Brockovich, the yeah. um, 90s activist? She has launched, helped launch the largest class action lawsuit in Australian history this morning. What? what? It's about uh, communities... I mean, I can't, I don't know if sufferer is the right word because it varies, but communities affected by the PFAS outbreak, outbreak is con, con, historic contamination. It's, it's a, um, PFAS is a chemical used in like fire retardant foam. Um, and it's historically, it's got a bit of controversy in Australia. The Australian government doesn't consider it that seriously. It says, you know, don't eat food if it's been grown on this and like a few little things like that. But pretty much every other major government like US in England, a lot of European countries, uh, um, that has used this can, considers that it can cause cancer. It can cause all sorts of things. And there's even within the science community, there are, there is some debate over like just how, you know, what you can trace to this, but it is, Australia has seen that is definitely the outlier and that we, we haven't historically accepted what this does. And there's a bunch of army bases around Australia that an, an ABC, I think it was a couple of years ago, over the last few years, ABC and the age possibly, um, did investigation. A lot of these communities are suffering a lot, a lot of, there's just the, the rates are high, you know, skyrocketing. Um, a lot of people have, a lot of this in their system, whether it's dangerous or not, it's probably still a weird legal tricky oh. thing to put out there. But uh, yeah, Aaron Brockovich has come here to, to to join in. It's a very strange lead into that story, but that is um, that's been launched this morning. And that's been building wow. up for a while, right? Yes. Yeah. Exactly. I remember this. hearing about that a, a little a little while ago. So that's that's awesome that it's actually yeah you know, got a bit of got a bit of momentum and um, yeah. Yeah, the the exact, but yeah, it's definitely been going on for years. It's 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 a broader controversy. Do we know how many people are involved in the case? In the uh, I think so, but my my internet has just died. <laughs> <laughs> I did actually have that answer, but I would I would say it's like it's at least eight bases around Australia was used on army bases, and the communities around those eight bases I think have all oh, joined wow. in on this. So it is, um, yeah. So keep an eye on that. Big suit, wow. Yeah. Um, the next story, and it's kind of uh, it's kind of a strange update to um, it's been in the news for a while that we're undergoing a massive drought. Uh, but it was um, interesting last night. Uh, Q and A had a whole episode dedicated to this, but did not have. It was very strange. They did not have an Indigenous Australian on the panel, mm. um, but they did have a person questioning, jumping in, and like th- this, the debate is so often framed that it's like either the environment or it's farmers. Like, that's usually what you're told, that, like, one has to give out because there's not enough water. We, we, we do a lot of stuff out there. But we did have an, they, they did actually have someone come out and say that communities out there are dying. They're, like, there are groups that have been on lands for, you know, as long as, as long as they have been. I can't remember. I think he was saying, uh, like, historic lands, either way. Um, uh, but they've, um, they've all had to start moving. There's, there are cod that have, like, 80 year old cod are dying. Whole, whole, whole stretches are gone. And it's, it kind of puts a rebuffer to that idea that this, this argument that, like, farming or environment, environment means people are living on those lands. Like, that is not, that is, uh, never really taken into account. And it was, it was one of these things that, like, something going forward has to give. The government is, is looking, they defend that they're saying the Murray Darling Basin plan is as good as possible. 
it's it's really failing. The whole, you know, I don't. It's a very complicated issue. There's no simple solution to it, but it is something that, like, going to a head as these as communities are dying, as areas are losing a lot of their water. It's something Australians going to have to grapple with. That some industry is one way or another. The irrigation, the big, the the obvious answer for me at least is like rice. Australia, you cannot. We should not be growing rice in Australia. Mm. There was an argument. I think Marion Slattery last night. She was who's um, uh, scientists were talking that we can't be growing almonds as well. There's like there's a few things out there. Wow. Yeah. Almonds are terrible. Yeah. This is one of the worst things you could do for the environment, other than meat, obviously. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I really, that, that coffee? I really like rice. Okay, it's <laughs> <laughs> devastating. I love rice. I'm like eighty percent rice. Oh, so. me too. But it's just like we'll just get it from somewhere else. Flat, dry yeah. country. Yeah. 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 yeah, it should not come from Australia. Yeah. I find that really, really interesting. I know you know we can't be getting too deep, but um, for time. But I find it really interesting that yeah, like you say, we talk about there being farming and that's when people are living on the land and environment that's when people aren't living on the land and I think it really harks back to that flora fauna you know mm, pre-1967 yes. referendum communities living on the land effectively the government is saying you're not considered you know part of this you know you're not you're not people basically mm. you're, not citizens. Yeah. you're not you're not you're not good enough to be living on the land and there's this very clear you know man versus nature dichotomy mm. they set up this continuation of the colonial structures um, and it's just a different form of genocide. Absolutely, and that's what he was saying. That he's, he's he was his aim is that he's, this is the second wave of genocide, yeah. and mm. it's but just because it's not fitting into to use a very corny you know, lefty slang, it's like it's not capitalistic. There's no profit in this. He was talking, mm. and his whole argument was that like it's water for profit should not be part of this system. Yeah. And um and it, it really stuck to the heart because one of the other person's arguments there was like the problem is we're putting too much water into the environment. It's like, no, that cannot be the problem. <laughs> the, you know, the problem is that we've been thinking like that for, you know, We're returning too much water to the thing that it comes from. That it's it going comes to ensure from. that we continue yeah. as an ecosystem. It's such, it's just terra nullius, isn't it? It, it just. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, That's, oh, that makes me really angry. It really is, and it's and it true, and it, it was a good moment of television anyway, yeah. for an episode that was largely lacking in Indigenous voices. It was one of those moments that's like, this is the conversation that no no one is having, and it need, it really needs to be yeah. had. Yeah, people kept bringing up that book, um, Bruce Pascoe's Yeah, Dark Yeah, which yeah. I still have to read. Me too, I need to read that as well. But we'll read it amazing. and dissect it on the show. Yeah, mm-hmm. live. yourself to account now by saying you haven't read it. So yeah, and I just like quickly want, I mean, this is, you know, not the juiciest thing out there. But when I was in Greece, when I was in Europe... <laughs> oh, sorry, were you in Greece? Oh, yeah. You've been somewhere, right? Where was that? As in Europe, guys. Is that a suburb of Melbourne? Wow. Yeah, you, you would know. Um, but when I was in Greece, it was lovely weather. We went specifically after summer so that, you know, we won't be run over by tourists. But the, the weather was so beautiful and we were really happy. But people there were like, this is the longest summer we've ever had. This is weird that you have such beautiful weather this year. And we were like, oh, well, I, we can't really be unhappy about this. But at the same yeah. time, yeah, climate change. Climate change, yeah, it's getting... On that very cheerful note. Yes. Yeah. Oh, we always just bring ourselves down, don't we? We all come back to climate oh, change. It's killing the planet. Um, but, and I mean, the last, the very last little note uh, was that I think we talked about it very briefly, briefly last week, uh, but Queensland passed their super... Um, reactive, uh, like, two months of planning anti-protest laws, uh, explicitly designed for extinction and rebellion. So, 
watch out if you're Extinction Rebellion in Queensland. They're not actually, it's more that it's, because they've taken this step, which is not, it's not massive. It gives police extra search powers and it outlaws, you know, dangerous lock-on devices, which don't mm. exist, really. It's, it's a, it's a furphy. But, um, because they've started this, it also, what was a really interesting point is that it gave the LNP in Queensland to propose really radically, radical anti-protest laws. Like, uh, one of the suggestions was if, if three people are in the city and a cop, cop sees three people who the cop suspects they might disrupt chat traffic, the cop is allowed to arrest them. Like, that was one of the suggestions from the LNP. It didn't get through because the LNP aren't government, but there's a big election next year, and by Labor doing this, there's an argument that it's legitimized this shift into anti-protest author- authoritarianism. Um, so, but yeah, also keep up the good fight. If you're in Extinction Rebellion, it's clearly working. It's clearly, you know. Do you think, do you think Joe Bianca um, Peterson is just like in his grave doing oh, a little jig right now? He is. He's yes, warm. My, it's like, yeah. my, the, 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 the legacy I set yeah. up of authoritarian regimes in Queensland continues. The police he was state, Queensland, wasn't he? He was he Queensland. Was yeah. Possibly, like, wait Our own little, right we called him the hillbilly dictator. Oh god! Yeah. Yep, he's back. Yeah, he's back, and he's proud. He's proud of. Just his in time for Halloween, like the, jo- the Jobielka zombies come out. <laughs> yeah. Yes, police laws. Yeah. <laughs> Corruption. <laughs> Protester brains. <laughs> I really know how to keep things serious. Yeah. No. No. I think that's um, great. Great way to wrap up. I am. Um, <laughs> so. We might play a song to just round off all of that content. (laughs) Um, Mm. And this is fitting, I think, because I know Anya's a fan. Um, Daniel Elia from his new album, Feminia. And this track is called Easy. Hello. Yeah, what's up? Love. It's easy to love me now. Love me now. Would you love me if I was down? If I was down, it's easy to love me now. Love me now. Would you love me if I was down? If I was down, it's easy to love me now. Would you love me if I was down? I was down. It's easy to love me now. Would you love me if I was down? It's easy to love me now, cause you don't know about all the shit that I've been through. Let me tell you now. Would you love me if I told you I'm the jealous type? Would you love me if I used to smoke weed? Would you still love me? still love me. My homie suicided cause he had depression. He came to me for help and I could've helped him. Instead I called the cops and told him it was nuisance. Look, he won't leave my couch so we carried him out. Look, then he got arrested when the cops arrived. Yeah, I was so embarrassed when I had him around cause he was high. Look, he was not the same person that I used to know. I could've helped him if I was willing to listen. Now that he's gone, I just hope I'm forgiven. Do you still love me? Now that you know, now that you know. Let me know. Love me if they said I was a criminal, yeah. I mean, I spent a night in jail, but I was innocent, yeah. And that night is what made me stop drinking, yeah. It changed my life, cause I could have stayed in jail for like 25 years. Look, you knew that I was innocent, Lord. I've done things in my life, but this wasn't my fault, yeah. Look, it ain't easy to love me now, why? Cause loving me is complicated, yeah. How could you love me when I don't love myself? 
Yeah, there's no amount of love that can be enough if I don't love myself. I lost people in my life, it made me lose myself, it made me lose my health, and I was down. I was really trying to find a way out. I was constantly thinking pain will subside. I was smiling but really hurting inside, yeah. I just hated the fact that I was alive. October the 28th to the 31st, some of the worst climate criminals will be gathering for the International Mining Conference, IMARC, at the Melbourne Convention Centre. Blockade IMARC is an activist alliance committed to putting a stop to the mass destruction caused by extractive industries across the globe and the harm they cause to communities and ecosystems. We need your help to be part of this blockade. Find out how at blockadeimark.com or check out our Facebook page, Blockade IMARC a 3CR supporter. You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR. So we just heard a track from Daniel Elia, which is called Easy. Check out his album, Thamania. It's it's really awesome. And also just wanted to mention Blockade IMAX. That's happening today. And I think there's going to be a really big presence there. So if you can get down, if you have some spare time today, that would be really, really amazing. Definitely, I'll be heading down there. So up now, next on the line, we have Helen Matthews from the Women's Legal Services Australia to talk about the safety first in family law reform that was announced last week. Welcome to Tuesday Breakfast, Helen. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Uh, Before we look at the reform plans, can you paint us a picture of the issues women and children face when navigating this institution? There's a number of problems. One of them is that they're likely to go into court reluctantly or they may well not even go into the court system at all to deal with their issues, but they're faced with a lot of beliefs about what should happen. Um, They can also be faced with a real really complex system where it's difficult for them to explain what their concerns are. So we're mostly concerned about people who've been experiencing family violence um, during their relationship and then quite often following the um, end of the relationship and how difficult it is for people to actually get um, courts and other people involved in the family law system to understand the risk that they're trying to manage um, while they're negotiating their family law arrangements. So we're looking at a system where if you went into the court process, it could take well over two years to actually have everything come to a conclusion. And in that time, you wouldn't have had a court examining in detail the evidence of the family violence that might have gone ahead. So we're saying we need those decisions made, uh, that, that evidence looked at more closely early and decisions being made early about what the impact of family violence is before we're making arrangements and decisions for children to spend time with people who are accused of being violent towards them or or their mothers. Mm. So you you touched on it briefly. It's um, You're putting together a a, um, 
suggestion of uh, reform called the Safety First in Family Law to address these failings of yes. the courts. Can you give us an overview of that reform or a deeper look into what that reform is? Look, sure. So there's a number of things that we need to um, change to have a better response to family violence in, in, in the system. And one of those is really, as I was saying, that early decision-making, early examination of the evidence. And we can do that if we've got a more case-managed um, approach. So case-managed in a couple of sense. We do some risk management to actually look at what's going to be safe processes for the person. And then we also have that early assessment of the evidence before people are simply trying to manage safe outcomes themselves by, you know, maybe agreeing to some not-so-safe consent arrangements. We have people making those arrangements because some of the professionals that they're dealing with do not have a good understanding of family violence. So in the family law system, often in parenting matters, people go into um, court with parenting, with, sorry, family reports. So it may be that somebody, that the parties and the children have gone before um, a, a consultant who could be a psychologist in background or a social worker and they've said, oh look, the children seem perfectly comfortable with Dad. They've run up to see him when, they, when he walked in the door. It may well be that that person has actually missed a lot of the dynamic of the family violence in that relationship and is drawing a very strong conclusion about the ease of the children with that, with that um, uh, perpetrator of violence. So what we're suggesting in another part of the reform, so there's the case management, then we also have to look at those um, professionals involved in the system having a really good understanding of family violence so that they um, understand how it works and don't um, jump to those conclusions, which are very influential in a case. We need to have a, a real change from emphasising the uh, right that the um, Family Law Act says there is for a child to have a relationship with both parents to and, and move more to um, uh, prioritising safety and making sure that we use that exception of except where there is family violence um, much more than happens at the moment and we're best to do that by ending any presumptions in favour of both parents having um, uh, automatically having a role in the child's life. So there's a number of other aspects to it. We want there to be better access to alternative dispute resolution for family law matters where there's family violence. We need to have people going through that then properly resourced with lawyers able to assist them. Um, and uh, we also um, are aware of the complication that happens for people where their lives mean that they touch base with the family violence laws of the states with the child protection laws of the states and then the family law of the of the Commonwealth. So how do we make it easier for the individuals going through that who really are not concerned with who's responsible for the administration of which areas of justice? Wow, it's a very, very uh, uh, complex set of... Not complex, but um, comprehensive set of reform suggestions. Um, Look, yeah, it's, oh, it's not small, it's not bite-sized, but a lot of these things can be done now without any legislative change. Mm. They just re require some leadership and resourcing. Absolutely. So taking a, a guidelines rather than policy and regulation approach or legislative mm. approach, that, that sounds like a really um, sensible and, and, and um, yeah, well thought out way to approach that. Um, so there's currently um, an inquiry into the family court system uh, headed yes. by Liberal backbencher Kevin Andrews and One Nation's Pauline Hanson. What are your thoughts about that inquiry? Well, my initial thoughts um, were that it was 
and I haven't changed from this view, entirely unnecessary. The family law system has been reviewed and reviewed and reviewed. Um, and there's, um, there was a, a parliamentary inquiry just a couple of years ago. There was the ALRC review reporting earlier this year. And there was, a, you know, really, why do we need this further inquiry? What is different about it? And unfortunately, what was different about it was that was introduced um, on the back of Pauline Hanson making some uh, wrong claims that women lie about family violence and that men are being disadvantaged in the system. So the unfortunate thing about this inquiry is not just that it's unnecessary and a further drain on the resources of those who might want to contribute to it, it um, really is a re-traumatising process if we were to have um, people who've experienced family violence participating in it. Mm. So, you know, I think that um, when you have a prominent member of a committee making statements which show such misunderstanding or willful um, disregard of the evidence um, before it even begins, then you really have to worry about how it's going to contribute to sensible um, discussion about uh, family law reform. Definitely. So it's not even just a case of we already know what the problem is, we know what we need to do to fix it. Now it's we know what the problem is, we know what to do to fix it, and there are people who are now trying to almost obfuscate and cloud that further with even more inquiries. That just does not yeah. sound like yeah. the most sensible route to take. Um, Helen Matthews, thank you so much for coming on to talk about this uh, Safety First and Family Law Reform. If people want to get more information about Safety First and Family, in family Law, where can they do that? Uh, yes, now I've just realised I need to put my glasses on to uh, <laughs> refer you to the Wilsa website. So it's, it's explained in, in full um, on the um, Wilsa website, which is www.wlsa.org.au. So um, it's available in, in detail online. Fantastic. Helen Matthews, thank you so much for coming on and have a great morning. Thank you for your interest. Bye-bye. Most LGBTIQ people experience positive, intimate and family relationships. However, like cisgendered heterosexual people, some LGBTIQ people experience abuse and violence in their relationships. With Respect is a new family violence service for LGBTIQ plus Victorians, providing counselling and recovery programs for victims and survivors of family violence and help for people using violence who want to stop. With Respect is a partnership between queer Space, Thorn Harbour Health, Switchboard Victoria and Transgender Victoria. For more information, visit withrespect.org.au or call 1-800-542-847. With Respect is not a crisis service. If you need immediate help, call 000. A 3CR supporter. You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR Community Radio. Um, we're going to be cutting in... Uh, to talk about something that's happening, that's something that's really important that's happening at the Melbourne Convention Centre in South Bank. Um, there's a community protest that's happening at the moment. Community activists are there to protest the effects of extractive industries on Indigenous communities around the world. Um, it's called Blo Blockade IMARC, which is a non-violent protest held in the traditions of S11, Occupy and the Jebuluka campaigns. And they're fighting against the violence towards all living beings and the planet. Yeah. Yeah, so we've got the meeting of the worst climate criminals at this conference, yeah. and that's where... Known as the International Mining and Resources Conference. Yes. Yeah. Um, so we're going to go straight to...
Marion from the IMAC blockade who has some updates for us. Who's one of the organisers? Mm-hmm. Hello, Marion. We might come back to them. So with Blockade IMARC, I think we had someone, we had um, Jacob uh, from Blockade IMARC on a couple of weeks ago to talk about this. This is a really important um there's a really important protest that's taking place. It's 20, 20 years, I believe, after um, the, the Jabaluka campaigns. It's part of the same uh, um, lineage as the Occupy movement. And it's, you know, the International Mining and Resources Conference, or IMARC, is a, an enormous, enormous conference. And these are all just horrendous climate criminals that really need to be held to account. And it sounds like there is quite a bit of activity going on down at um, the Melbourne Convention Centre. Do we have Marion on the line? We don't, so we might come back in yes. just a minute. From October the 28th to the 31st, some of the worst climate criminals will be gathering for the International Mining Conference, IMARC, at the Melbourne Convention Centre. Blockade IMARC is an activist alliance committed to putting a stop to the mass destruction caused by extractive industries across the globe and the harm. You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR. We're going to go straight to Marion from IMARC. Hi, Marion, are you there? Yeah, can you hear me? Yes. Thanks for joining us this morning. Yeah, thank you very much. So what's going on over there? Okay, so today's the um, second day of the blockade and the strike, like the biggest call out has been for today so people have been gathering from 6am um, and now there's a few hundred people um, at two entrances um, to the conference um, and there's been so so far in the last hour or so there's been extreme police violence um, including there's been horses they've used capsicum spray they've used um, like chokeholds against people um, and at least 10 people have been arrested um, and we don't know what the charges are for, um, but there's uh, arrestee solidarity people going down to the cop shops in West Melbourne now. Um, and, um, and yeah, and, you know, strategically in terms of what's happening, people have gone onto two different entrances um, to block delegates from coming into the conference. Um, and there's also a really beautiful display of solidarity um, between uh, the, with the union movement because union representatives are here present because there's also a health and safety conference happening and people um, from the union movement have been marshalling people safely into the conference because as an activist alliance we want to support solidarity with workers' rights and workers' safety because this is also threatened by mining. Um, and so, yeah, there's, you know, I'm just right next to the muster point, which has, you know, at least 20 or 30 union delegates um, who are safely getting people into the health and safety conference. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, a really powerful show of people's power um, and, um, you know, organising. Um, and, yeah, I guess that's a bit of what's happening at the moment. So I'm a bit of out of breath. Um, that's OK, Marion. Um, and is the police activity still continuing? Sorry? Are the, are the, is the police um, action still continuing? Yes, so today is the second day um, of the IMARC conference and there will be, um, the Boca continues tomorrow, um, Wednesday and, so tomorrow being Wednesday and Thursday um, and there's different actions for all days so there's an um, action organised by the West Papua community 
by the Philippines community, um, the Eritrean community, all communities who have been impacted by mining and have resistance to mining, um, and who the mining companies that are present here are responsible for in terms of genocide and in terms of ecocide. So there's a lot of different communities here um, participating and people acting in solidarity with people on the front line. Um, and so, yeah, people can get more information about what's happening each day by looking at the social media. At Blockade, I'm up Facebook, Instagram um, and Twitter. And by listening to Chris, yeah. Marion, thank you so much for calling in. It sounds like you probably can't hear us very well. But, um, yeah, no, I can hear you. I can hear you. I've got the great little OB kit from Tricia. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's really good. Um, can you give us a, um, a little taste of what's happening right now? It sounds yeah, like it's so getting right a lot now, noisier. Yeah, so right now I'm in front of one of the entrances um, that people are blockading. Um, and there's about maybe 100 on this one entrance, and there's several hundred at, at, at the front entrance. Um, and, yeah, people are chanting, land rights, not mining rights, shut I mark down. Um, and different, yeah, and different chants, keeping it nice and loud and lively. There's lots of banners. Um, there's plans to be, you know, theatre throughout the day, um, and like, yeah, lots of different activities. Um, and there's lots of support people, so there's medics on the ground, there's legal observers from Melbourne Activist Legal Service, um, there's uh, teams to arrest solidarity and support, um, and there's, um, yes, there's a team doing cooking to hopefully feed people today, um, and yeah, there's a lot of um, support and solidarity happening. And are the, are the police continuing to arrest people or does it seem like they've held back for the moment? Um, well, look, right now where I am, there aren't any arrests happening. And maybe for the last five or ten minutes, uh, I just spoke with a team that came down from the front and there haven't been any arrests yet. Um, so we're just waiting on more information. But there has been at least ten people arrested and they're being held at West Melbourne Police Station. Um, and we don't know what the charges are. They've just been violently arrested and the police have used capstan spray and forces. Mental nearly got trampled by forces. Um, oh and um, so, yeah, that's a bit of what's happening with, in terms of the police. Um, yeah. Right. Marion, it sounds like um, it's, things are continuing to happen throughout the day and throughout the morning. What we might do is if anything continues to, if any further developments take place, we might um, get back to you. So yep. um, keep calling in and, you know, uh, yep. giving us more updates yep. should anything occur. Yeah, beautiful. Yep. Thank you, Marion. Thank you very much, guys. Six years I've been in Beyond the Bars is 3CR's annual prison project, giving voice to our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander inmates right across Victoria. It's good to be here because uh, Aboriginal radio and um, you don't really get to do this much. Brings us all together. Time, you'll get your time to take that first step out that front door to freedom beyond these walls. Make and sure I just want to say thank you to all of you for giving us the opportunity to speak on air. The reason, the bigger the calling. Make your commitment and watch things on And you can listen to audio from this year's broadcasts and previous years as well. Online at any time, just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars. But also while I'm here, I'd like to say thank you for all for coming. 
um, helping, giving us a chance to do this. It's really good, you know. It's been going for a while now. Hopefully it goes, it keeps going. You know, like, it's, it's good that we can do this and um, get our voice out there as prisoners. We can't blame everything on the external, so let's stop looking for it in the hands of the persecutor because real power comes from here and it comes from family. If you would like us to post you a free CD, contact the station on 03 9419 From October the 28th to the 31st, some of the worst climate criminals will be gathering for the International Mining Conference, IMARC, at the Melbourne Convention Centre. Blockade IMARC is an activist alliance committed to putting a stop to the mass destruction caused by extractive industries across the globe and the harm they cause to communities and ecosystems. We need your help to be part of this blockade. Find out how at blockadeimark.com or check out our Facebook page, Blockade IMARC, a 3CR supporter. You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR. The time is 7.37 in the morning. On the line now, we have Tony Briffer, Director of um, Intersex Human Rights Australia. Good morning, Tony. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us. Uh, Could you just tell us briefly about um, yourself and Intersex Human Rights Australia? Sure. So um, I think I'm an intersex person, which just means that um, when I was born, um, I'm not born with a biology that's typical of someone that's exclusively male or exclusively female. It's it's um, just a biological variation where people are born just outside those expectations of what it actually biologically means to be male or female. Um, and Intersex Human Rights Australia is one of the two peak organisations in Australia focusing on the human rights of people with intersex variation. And um, you're on here, we um, asked you to come on to talk a little bit about Intersex Human Rights Australia and um, intersex issues in more broadly because it was Intersex Awareness Day on Saturday the 26th of October. Yes. Um, just as a first question, why do, you, why do we need Intersex Awareness Day? Why is it something that is important to be aware yeah, of and recognise? People still don't know who, who what we are, what intersex is. Um, they Often there's a lot of conflation between intersex and other groups like trans groups um, or even conflation that intersex is about being a third sex or about gender identity um, and it's not. Most intersex people are male or female just with a normal biological variation that you know has, um, so you've got some sex characteristics um, of both sexes, but you are male or female. Um, it's not about gender identity. Most of the sex people identify as male or female and the sex they were raised. And importantly, we want to raise awareness that the abuses of intersex children occur today still. So still in Australian hospitals today, little girls with particular intersex variations have their clitorises surgically reduced in size. No medical reason, there's no urgency about it, no consent given by the child to their babies, um, and it's still happening in Australia today. So if we talk about, you know, being against conversion therapies of GLBT people, uh, well, we need to also discuss the conversion therapies of intersex children, and we need to put a stop to that. 
Absolutely. Um, and that, that actually brings me to another point. Uh, you boycotted this year's Pride March in Melbourne because the Royal Children's Hospital was marching. Um, can you explain why you did that? Uh, um, I mean, obviously, it's, it's, it's to do with, uh, you know, what happens at, at birth. But can you speak a bit more about that? Sure. I look, I'm a great supporter of, of Pride uh, mm. and the whole midsummer, you know, being a, a queer person as well. And I've been going to to Pride marches here in Victoria for, for like more than 20 years. <coughs> when I was mayor of the city of Hobson's Bay in Melbourne's West, I even very proudly marched in the, the Pride march in my mayoral gowns and with the school of office and all that sort of stuff. Um, but this year, uh, we look incredibly disappointed to see that the people that abuse us, uh, in intersex people, um, by doing those surgeries on little, on, on little intersex children, um, and also hormonal interventions on intersex children, we're marching at our prime march. I mean, it's, it's, it's very triggering, it's very inappropriate. It would be akin to having, you know, a homophobic group turn up and march in prime march. I'm sure, I'm sure there's been lots of people that would be, you know, out in arms and boy- also boycott the Pride March if they had a gay conversion therapy uh, group marching at Pride March. Well, it's exactly the same. It, they are, they are, are abusers. Mm, definitely. And, and they're, they're, they march at Pride March because, look, the RCHD, the Royal Children's Hospital, do lots of wonderful work um, and completely recognise that. They do one, lots of great work with kids in Victoria and overseas and even with trans kids. But when it comes to intersex children, they're still stuck in the 1950s and 60s. They need to just accept that what they're doing is wrong, that they need to work with the intersex community um, for a, a more human rights approach to, to clinical management of intersex children. Things like clinical surgeries on baby girls should not be occurring mm. today. Definitely. In Victoria... Yeah, you know, you just it's just abhorrent um, and completely against our human rights. Am I able to ask just briefly uh, whether there was any response from the hospital when? Um... Um, nothing. No, no, nothing. They they don't feel they need to. They've got so much support um, in in the community for other things that they do that there's no, there's there's yeah, they didn't have to comment at all. I wrote to the CEO. There's no no response. There's no nothing. Um, thankfully, there was it, there was a lot of support from other groups mm. within the GLBTI community. So I think groups like Rainbow Families, Switchboard, um, Thorn Harbour Health, they all um, were very supportive. Um, but yeah, the mm. RCHs just don't need to respond and, and don't. Speaking of groups being uh, supportive, this weekend the Arts Centre Spire and Williamstown Town Hall were lit up with the intersex colours over the um, yeah, over this weekend, um, purple and yellow. Um, as a person with an intersex variation and as someone who's campaigned for the human rights of intersex people, how did it feel to see such a prominent such prominent buildings and spaces lit up with those colours? Look, it was fantastic. I, um, getting Williamstown Town Hall lit up in intersex colours was, was fantastic and I was very pleased that the Hobson's Bay Council was, was willing to do that. When I applied for the Victorian Arts Centre to light up their spire in intersex colours, I I wasn't sure whether they would agree to it or not, but I was so pleased that they, that they did. And it was amazing just to see the colours out there. I don't know if many people understood or realised what those colours were about, but certainly intersex people and our families did. And it's, 
we did help raise awareness. We we had images of those places on social media, and we're many intersex people were openly discussing, you know, why things are being lit up in those colours and what intersex awareness day is all about. Mm. So, wh- why do you think you touched on it a bit there? Why do you think it's significant that councils and institutions are starting to to mark this day so visibly? Um, it's, it is about helping to raise awareness. About two percent of the population are intersex. So chances are we've all met intersex people. I'm very sure that we've all met intersex people. <coughs> but many of us actually don't tell people because of the shame and stigma attached to being intersex. Mm-hmm. Um, and the confusion that, you know, once, we, once we're out about being intersex, people don't. People tend to think that we're, you know, not even male or female, but we're other, we're something else. Mm. Um, but just to raise awareness about who we are and what we are um, is really important. Definitely. And um, I suppose just one final question. Uh, the Darlington Statement um, was released in 2017, which is a statement um, released by intersex advocates, including um, Intersex Human Rights Australia, that outlines key yes. priorities for the intersex community. Just very briefly, are you able to give us a little rundown of what some of those priorities are and whether Australian governments and services have started addressing them, if there's been any change since the statement was released in 2017? There hasn't been many changes at all. Doctors tell us that things have changed, but really what, the only thing that's changed is probably the number of, of intersex children um, being subjected to those surgeries and hormonal interventions. But just like conversion therapy, if you reduce the number from 100 children a year from being abused to 50 children a year being abused, it's still not okay. Mm. The Darlington Statement is available online for anybody to read. It's darlington.org.au. Um, and the Darlington Statement has got every, you know all the things that, that we that we're asking for, including you know putting an end to those those practices, recognising our rights to bodily diversity, and not to pathologise us. We we just seen as being defective, um, and we are just a natural variation of human bodily diversity. Mm. Definitely. Um, Tony Briffer, thank you so much for coming on to talk about that through what sounds like a, a, a cold that's descending on you. Um, so I, I really appreciate that. Uh, if we want to learn more about Intersex Human Rights Australia, you mentioned the Darlington Statement website. Um, how about yourself and Intersex Human Rights? Yeah, I definitely recommend people go to the Darlington Statement visiting the Intersex Human Rights Australia website, so ihra.org.au and Intersex Peer Support Australia, so ipsa.org.au. Fantastic. Tony Briffer, thank you so much and have a great morning. Thank you. Bye-bye. From October the 28th to the 31st, some of the worst climate criminals will be gathering for the International Mining Conference, IMARC, at the Melbourne Convention Centre. Blockade IMARC is an activist alliance committed to putting a stop to the mass destruction caused by extractive industries across the globe and the harm they cause to communities and ecosystems. We need your help to be part of this blockade. Find out how at blockadeimark.com or check out our Facebook page, Blockade IMARC, a 3CR supporter.
Listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR felt really bad to cut that song short. Sorry, uh, but if you were enjoying it, that's Alia Esprit, and that track is called Energy. So it's a really good one. We'll play it next week, Jules. Yes. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well, listeners tuning in, this is 3CR Tuesday Breakfast with George, Zoya, and myself, Anya, in the studio today. We also have a very special guest in the studio with us, um, Adam. Hi, Adam. Hi. Thanks for having me. Our pleasure, Adam. Maybe we'll start by. Um, talking about why you're here. Okay, well, I'm here to sort of let people know about a little campaign that a school in Preston's running called Help Newlands Now. Uh, it's a Newlands Primary School is on the border of Preston and Coburg, and uh, it's a good little school that needs some help. Mm. So we uh, we're running out of space. We have some serious capacity issues and. Uh, some serious sort of neglect issues, buildings that haven't seen any love for a very long time. Mm. And so we're calling on James Molino in the education department to to um, act on the school's master plan, which is a, a design that outlines the buildings and grounds that we're going to need in, yeah. the, in the coming years because we've, uh, we've got to a point where next year we are losing our library. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah, so that's why I'm here. So you've started a campaign. Yeah, so we started a campaign. It's yeah. like a grassroots campaign that, you know, over a number of years, the principal and the, the school leadership have been asking for for funds and, mm. you know, making the department aware that we're going to run out of space very soon and we haven't had any love from them yet. So parents have kind of got fed up, had enough, and so we've started this campaign to to call on James Molino and Robin Scott, who's our local member, mm. To, to come to the party and provide the buildings that the kids need. Mm. So what's what's the school like at the moment? What are the facilities like? So the school at the moment, look, it's it's a really good school. It's it's 
it's a school that's seen significant growth mm. in in the last several years. My oldest son is in grade six. When he started back in prep, there was 88 kids. Next year, we're looking at having 270 kids at the school. Mm. So as you can see, that's that's really significant growth. Um, we've got one building that houses the, the preps through to the grade threes. That's actually a pretty good building. Um, it, it saw some renovations a couple of years ago that, that have turned that building into quite a good building. But the four, five, six kids and a lot of other programs are housed in what we lovingly refer to as the chook shed mm. it's it's a building that hasn't had any any love since since the 1970s it's got asbestos in the walls mm. which means that you can't do anything without spending a lot of money and the school of that size just doesn't have a lot of money um but because of the the growth we've had to use that building more and more and and we've got to the point now where We've we've had to relocate a library. Mm. It's going to be in a hallway next year. So, yeah. so um, the petition's sort of about fixing what's what's well, being broken at the moment. Yeah, the, the petition's really about getting our master plan acted on. So yeah, okay. we had a master plan drawn up a couple of years ago, mm. and in the the wisdom of the d- education department, they they told the architects to design a school for two hundred and fifty kids thinking that that's what we would need uh, in five okay. years' time. Yeah. We're already at 250 kids. We're going past that next year. We we estimate that by 2024 we're going to have sort of 400 kids. Yeah, There's and a it's real, a really popular area as well. It's a real population see, yeah. boom happening out there. Mm. Um, you know, I like to think of it as, you know, I've ventured south of the wall today, the wall's Bell Street. Yeah. I've, I've come south of Bell Street today yeah. to talk to you, but, but yeah. north of Bell Street, you know, the wildlings are growing and <laughs> we've got... You know, we were getting, to just put it in context, there's 25 grade 6 kids that are graduating this year. My oldest son's one of them. Mm. Um, we've got 70 preps coming in. Sure. And we expect to see, you know, that number of new enrolments each year. And that's that's demographic, but it's also the really good work that, yeah. that's happened at the school. We run a Spanish bilingual program. We're the only mm. school, uh, primary school in Victoria that does that. Mm. We have a really strong focus on art and music and performing arts. Mm. And, you know, that's, that's, that's kind of important to what we're talking about today because it's the, the art program and the music program, the performing arts program that are really at risk mm. if we don't get more facilities because the spaces that we currently use for those mm. activities are going to have to be converted into general purpose classrooms to just accommodate the growing numbers. Sure. I love that Game of Thrones reference, by the <laughs> way. Um, and I guess, you know, in, in the midst of um, announcements about funding to private schools, you might have seen that media release yeah. a couple of weeks ago about how millions of dollars are being pumped into these select few schools. Yeah. Seems a bit... Yeah, look, and, and really. there's, there's money's being spent on primary schools in the area too, mm. and, and we kind of feel a little bit forgotten. I know I said we're doing, you know, we did get some money a couple of years ago. We got... $754,000 to spend on on upgrades, but a significant chunk of that money went to removing asbestos from some of the mm. buildings, um, and a significant chunk went to architects and project management. Now, one of the benefits of that was that the architects have come up with a master plan for us. As I t- and I, you know, I've already mentioned that the master plan needs to be reviewed because mm. it, it was you know the scope the scope was off from the beginning, <laughs> but. You know, we we know that Coburg North and, and Reservoir East are two other local primary schools. Their their parents sort of were in the same position we are. They ran campaigns and they got six point seven million dollars and six point three million dollars for for redevelopment. So, 
you know, we're following their lead and we're, we're getting out on the street. We've got a, a change.org petition. Um, if you search help Newlands now, you'll find that. Um, it's still early days, but we've had, you know, it's over a thousand signatures on that petition now. We're going to be out in the streets at Preston Market mm-hmm. asking people to support us. Um, yeah, so we're really, you know, we're a really engaged community. Um, the, the community spirit at the school is, is, you know, one of the really positive things that that I can say about the school. So, you know, we're a really engaged community and surely that's what, you know, the ministers want, engaged, you know, civic-minded people. And, you know, we just hope that James Molino and Robin Scott will, will listen to this engaged community and, and know that this community is asking for help. Absolutely. Fingers crossed and standing in solidarity always. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for coming in today. All right, great. Thank you. Red alert. Numbers are needed at the Japurung Heritage Protection Embassy camps immediately. Sacred birthing trees on Japurung country need protecting. Over 50 generations have been born on these sites and the birthing trees themselves are 800 years old. These trees are being protected from the Victorian Labor Party's planned highway extension that is set to destroy this sacred dreaming landscape. The campaign to protect country is led by Japurang traditional owners who are calling on people from all walks of life for support. You can help by joining traditional owners at the camp on Japurang country near Ararat or by donating and putting pressure on Daniel Andrews to protect this sacred land. Visit dwembassy.com for more information and updates. No trees, no treaty.
You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR Community Radio with George, Zoya and myself, Anya. That was Look At You Go by June Jones. Beautiful song. Thanks, Georgie. (laughs) Next up on the line, we are going to be talking to Dania Hawat. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dania. Thank you, Anya, for having me and featuring me. Our pleasure. Dania, um, tell us about yourself and the organization. Um, so I'm a student here working on my research at Western University, and I'm from Lebanon a few years back. And um, the organization is called the Australian Lebanese United Movement. It was created as uh, the protest in Lebanon erupted and um, was created solely for that purpose, to, to be able to, to give international support to the protest happening in Lebanon. So this protest that are happening in Lebanon at the moment is all over the news. Um, yeah. How did they all begin, and what are the protesters agitating for? Okay, so um, today is the 13th day of the people of Lebanon protesting on the streets, and when I say protesting, they've shut down businesses, schools, universities. Um, before the 13-day period, the government has been uh, proposing and imposing ridiculous taxes on basic things like um, calls that go through WhatsApp or Facebook, mm-hmm. uh, bread, you know, uh, lots of different stuff. And even a couple of days before the protest started, there was um, uh, the biggest uh, ever recorded forest fire in Lebanon. And the government uh, had uh, the equipment to fix it, mm-hmm. but they haven't fixed uh, to, to, to like turn off the fires, but they haven't fixed these equipment in a few years. And when the people found out about that, you know, there was home boss, they, they were just angry. And then a few days later, uh, even on the, on the day of the fires, uh, planes from Greece and Cyprus had to come in and interfere to turn off the fires because the government couldn't you know, sustain that. Mm. And then uh, two days after, they start imposing these new taxes on calls, outgoing calls to Facebook and WhatsApp. And People just went crazy, you know. Mm. They they did not accept that. Uh, they just took the streets. They were sick of it. They were fed up with everything. Um, I guess the main reason behind the protest is that um, so far the unemployment rate for young adults has risen to 40%. And the economy is continuously regressing as the government shows no clear action plan to change this. Um, also, not to forget that Lebanon is corrupt and there are billions of dollars sitting in the leading politicians' bank accounts, uh, aided by laws that allow bank secrecy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the people were fed up. They took the streets and they've been protesting for 13 days now, demanding that the current government resign, amongst other demands. Yeah, wow. It sounds like, you know, tensions have been sort of simmering the whole time and something just really had to push it over the edge and this yeah. this did. Yeah. And how are Lebanese people around the world supporting these protests and protesters? Um, so there's been a global solidarity protests all over the world. So Paris, Brussels, um, Sydney, Melbourne, you know. Um, what happened is after all these protests started, you know, emerging and, and, and being publicized on social media, the main organizers of every protest, actually it was us in Sydney and Paris, decided to just create a Facebook group in which we can all link each other Mm. and have solidarity protests at the same time all over the world, or probably the same day because of the time difference, and send our message louder. And that's what we've been doing. So we've been arranging the protests um, simultaneously. We've been working on a demand to have a unified list of demands for the government. Mm. Uh, We've been also working on groups, uh, creating groups of, you know, lawyers, international lawyers, political scientists, to create proposals that they can submit to international organizations for support 
for us to reach those demands. Mm. Um, so as on top of everything, so because the businesses have to, you know, everyone's shut down, the businesses, schools aren't going on. Um, there isn't any income right now in the country. So for these protests to keep on going, they need to be funded in some way. So there's been a lot of rumors that there's, you know, um, international intervention. Some, uh, you know, countries have a possible benefit in us having a process. And there's rumors that we've been uh, financed by them, but, but that's not true. Mm-hmm. So most of the money coming into the process to, you know, survive on basic food and water has been coming through uh, fundraisers that are on Facebook. Um, and these fundraisers are going viral. They're going big. And, and so far, there, there's enough to, like, keep the people going, you know, day by day. Mm. Um, so even small fundraisers, uh, for example, uh, they've been going on an a app in Lebanon similar to Uber Eats. And um, people from Australia, me and my friends have done this a few times, we order meals on these apps. Mm. And then th- these restaurants in Lebanon provide food for free for whoever's coming in because yeah. of the meals we order here. Um, so yeah, small small actions like this—they're just making a huge difference on the ground. Mm. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and speaking about global solidarity, which you mentioned, you know, all these protests that are happening at the moment in Hong Kong, um, in Lebanon, in Chile recently. Um, I guess in terms of yeah, and yeah, and so what are your thoughts on this? You know, I guess global and international solidarity. Why is that so important for the protesters? Back home. Because, you know, um, on the, the day we held the protest this Sunday on in Sydney, mm. Chile had uh, the same protest in the same place, coincidentally. And we asked them to stay back, but what, I was a few hours after them, so they couldn't. But luckily, the ones in Brussels and Germany, they joined forces. So the Chile protest and the Lebanon protest have been going on the same time mm-hmm. um, in different cities around the world. Because at the end of the day, we're all you know, calling for the same thing. We're all calling for non-corrupt governments. We just want um, fair taxes. We want, you know, a fair human you know, basic rights. We just want those things back. And I feel like even if we do get to a point where the government in Lebanon resigns, mm. we still need international organizations who fight corruption to help us, corruption to help us you know, through that. Because we can't, at the end of the day, the people who are calling for the process are not politicians. They're just humans, you know, it's, it's the people calling for their rights, so they cannot fix it by themselves. So all these protests going on around the world, you know, and even when we like join forces with Chilean protests together, mm-hmm. it just spreads awareness and puts a bit of pressure on these organizations to intercede faster. Whether it's in Lebanon, in Chile, in Hong Kong, you know, we we kind of need that support. Actually, not kind of, we, we definitely mm-hmm. need that support to just stand back on our feet after you know this period of protesting ends. Yeah, absolutely. And how yeah. can our listeners um, support your work? Are there any protests coming up, or can they go to a website, fundraisers? Um, so listeners can read about it, not just like on local stations. They should just become more aware. They should follow, you know, Lebanese, or whether it's the Lebanese or the Chilean or the, or the, or the Hong Kong project. They should follow activists and bloggers that are local. That's where you get the, you know, the real news. Mm-hmm. And and. They just need to make sure where their sources are coming from. Um, for example, for the Lebanese protests, they can just follow our page on Facebook for a starting point. We try to share as much as we can and have decided to do it more often because people need to know, you know. Um, the Australian Lebanese United Movement is, is, you know, working greatly on spreading the right news. We just don't want... Um, there's a lot of, for example, 
a well-known American uh, TV station, published only a few segments of the negative parts of the protest, you know, mm-hmm. um, people just, you know, breaking into shops. And, and that's happened on the first day, and it hasn't happened since. And they keep on repeating these those footages that they have from that day. You know, they're just, like, disrupting the image of the protest. I feel like people need to see what's really going on. And the more um, non-Lebanese people, you know, the more global um, awareness is spread, the more international intervention is possible and the more um, pressure the Lebanese government would feel to resign and actually, you know, give the people what they're demanding for. Because once, you know, everyone is talking about it, once it's just major news, they they just have to build, I think, I don't know, I don't know how it's, they're still in government while half the population is on the streets mm, protesting. Yeah. I do not know how they just, you know, accept it upon themselves. So once they see that it's not just, you know, the locals, but it's also, you know, people from outside um, judging them, you know, judging their actions, wanting good for the Lebanese people, I feel like they feel pressured enough to just step down and, you know, give the people what they want. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And in terms of fundraisers as well, so we don't have the right to, like, send out money to Lebanon or Lebanese protesters. But, for example, on our page and through our movement, we've been trying to find the right people to, 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 to donate to, you know, um, through yeah, online yeah. fundraisers and stuff. So people can also look for those. Um, yeah, like just look for trusted resources if they want to help. Mm-hmm. Um, and, again, if anyone chooses to donate, please, please, please research and ask first about who you're donating to. Um, this is a for example, what we're doing, our movement is, is by the people, for the people, and it should remain like that. Yeah. Um, I don't. I feel like people need to be aware that they're not mistakenly supporting the, the wrong side of things, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah, I think <laughs> I think our, our listeners would uh, definitely be on your side. Um, Great. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today, Danya. Thank it was lovely so talking to you. Anya. Thank you. Matthew Fagan Band and Friends presents Earth Show, a rock and classical journey across our living planet. It's a music and visual spectacular celebrating the one planet that we inhabit. Saturday the 9th of November at the Deacon Edge Federation Square. Content starts at 8pm and an environment symposium, Our Shared Home, is on from 5pm. There's a 40% discount for 3CR subscribers, making your all-inclusive tickets just $33 for adults, $30 concession and $24 for students. Plus booking fee and don't forget to book in with the 3CR subscriber code 3CR20. Go to www.matthew-fagan.com. A 3CR supporter. Looking to connect with your local community and do something rewarding? Well, volunteering to lead a neighbourly ride could be exactly what you're after. The short 40-minute group rides are for all ages and ride levels. Help people build their confidence, feel supported while safely exploring the local areas of Brunswick, Carlton, Fitzroy and Northcote by bike. Volunteers receive free ride leader training, so go to neighbourlyride.com to contact us about volunteering. A 3CR supporter.
From October the 28th to the 31st, some of the worst climate criminals will be gathering for the International Mining Conference, IMARC, at the Melbourne Convention Centre. Blockade IMARC is an activist alliance committed to putting a stop to the mass destruction caused by extractive industries across the globe and the harm they cause to communities and ecosystems. We need your help to be part of this blockade. Find out how at blockadeimark.com or check out our Facebook page, Blockade IMARC. A 3CR supporter. QR Code is an LGBTIQA plus health podcast made by queers. Across eight episodes, hear us engaging with our communities, discussing diverse and intersecting topics. On In Your Face on the last Friday of every month. Or download from 3cr.org.au forward slash QR Code. And follow us on Facebook at QR Code 3CR, funded by the City of Yarra. You're listening... I'm not even talking into my mic right now. You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR. It's been a really, really big show, but we have more coming up. On the line is Richard Weston, who is the CEO of SNAKE, and SNAKE is the Secretariat of National Aboriginal and Islander Child Care. Richard Weston is a descendant of the Marian people of the Torres Strait and has worked in this uh, field for a very, very long time, so looking forward to speaking with him this morning. Thank you so much for joining us, Richard. Uh, it's good to be with you. So you're here to talk to us about the Family Matters campaign and the Family Matters report. So maybe to start off with, you could uh, could you tell us a little bit about the campaign? Well, Family Matters um, is a campaign to end the overrepresentation of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children in the out-of-home care system. And um, we recently released um, what we call the Family Matters report, which highlights the um, you know, some of the data around that overrepresentation, but also tries to highlight where some good um, work is being done to address this uh, mm. around the country um, and, and also to make some recommendations about um, what we need to accelerate the change and, and uh, you know, try and uh, keep our children out of the home care system. Yeah, it's, it's quite a comprehensive report and we can share it um, on our social media pages, but can you give us some of the, I guess, a, a brief summary, some of the main points, the statistics that came out of that report? Yeah, sure. The, well, the, the data is telling us that um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children are overrepresented in, in the system. Um, our kids make up uh, 37% of all children in out-of-home care, but we're only 5.5%. Uh, mm-hmm. of the um, child population in Australia. So, and that's a very alarming uh, figure. And the, so we're ten, ten times more likely to see our children in out-of-home care than non-Indigenous children. And the report is also telling us that if we don't start to address this, this issue, this over-representation, then within 10 years those figures are going to double. So at the moment there are 20,000, just over 20,000 um, Indigenous kids in the out-of-home care system and and as I said, if we don't do something about that, that number's set to double in the next 10 years. Yeah, those are just staggering statistics and I guess for yourself you've worked for the Healing Foundation and supporting uh, members of the Stolen Generations. What does that mean 
for you in terms of coming from that um, that work experience and then looking at the stats that are happening at the moment? Well, I, I think what I learned about um, the stolen generations is that when you when uh, children have adverse experiences in childhood, those the impacts are long lasting. Um, and they affect whole communities, whole families, and they affect our people um, from one generation to the next. And that's what we're seeing. Our kids are being removed at disproportionate rates because there are some vulnerabilities in, in our communities that put our children at risk and bring them into contact with authorities. Yeah. Um, and I think the, you know, the, the need for healing, the need to understand trauma is really critical. Um, but there's also a need to tackle the system. Um, so we have systemic issues that are discriminating against our children and um, you know, responding to uh, issues around um, risk and, uh, and safety with punitive measures that are punishing families and ultimately punishing children by separating from them from their communities, separating them from their culture and... Mm. Um, really challenging the links with their identity. So they're the sort of issues that, um, you know, the report discusses and why it's important for us to find solutions that um, involve Aboriginal people um, in the design of those solutions and programs and, and certainly highlight that if we don't start addressing this issue in a, in a coordinated and comprehensive way, um, the challenges in our communities are going to keep growing. Um, the social cohesion of our communities will be under continue to be under threat and you know the cost of the taxpayer of maintaining systems that we don't get much benefit from are, are just going to grow as well. Yeah and you could really see in the report the focus on on self-determination and and healing and what that you know how how crucial that is in terms of actually addressing this issue. Yeah, well, it's the things that make a difference to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people around healing and understanding trauma are solutions that are designed and developed by communities and addressing mm-hmm. local needs. So that's what I found in the Healing Foundation through the work there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's certainly the case when we're, we're trying to address issues for children and support yeah. support their healing, support their, um, you know, keep them safe. Yeah. Um, you know, strengthen their connection to their culture and identity, and um, you know, and, and so that they have a, have a proper childhood. Um, the report does go into some, um, you know, some of the good things that are happening at the jurisdictional level in places like Queensland, Victoria, and um, even in WA, where they have high, large, high numbers of Aboriginal kids in um, in out of home care. More than fifty five percent of all kids in in care in WA are Aboriginal kids, but the government there has just announced a 10-year strategy to to address that over-representation. So it's efforts like that that we want to highlight, but we need to do more of it, and we need... We need the um, federal government to provide the leadership, and so the report also recommends a, a national children's strategy and the establishment of a national Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander um, children's commissioner. Yeah. And why do you think it's important to have that at the national level, to have a commissioner at the national level? Look, I think it, um, it does a number of things. I think it provides a focus and, a, uh, and an accountability. Um, we would, we would, uh, the report recommends that the commissioner be established by legislation. 
that they have a degree of independence from government, um, that they're able to do a number of things like receive complaints from Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children, um, that they're able to make inquiries, um, receive reports, and also that they report to the Parliament on an annual basis. And, you know, we've seen in some of the states like in Victoria and uh, South Australia where um, dedicated children's commissioner positions for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander kids have been established and they're having quite a positive impact. And we think that that, that model and um, having a national commissioner would bring all those efforts together and perhaps encourage other states to establish their own children's commissioner positions. I mean, the reason we, uh, we think this comprehensive approach is needed is because of the, just the widespread um, disadvantage and discrimination that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander kids face. And it's not only are they impacted into the child protection system, but they're also overrepresented in the juvenile justice system. So these, um, you know, these uh, systems that are removing our kids from their communities and their culture and really starting to um, affect their futures um, requires a, a big response. It requires a coordinated effort and it requires national leadership. And I think that's the great thing about the Family Matters report. It's that the recommendations are supported by evidence. Um, they're supported by... Uh, being consistent with the um, UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People, but also on the Rights of Children. So it provides a really good um, resource and a roadmap for how we can think about uh, tackling and addressing this over-representation issue. And um, I guess I might have to let you go in just a minute, but as my final question, uh, just to summarise some of those key ideas, what do you think the big goals are for 2040? What In the report, what would you like to see done by then? Well, we'd like to. Uh, well, we. So, sorry, could you say that again? Uh, by twenty forty. Twenty forty. Yeah, I was reading yeah, in the report yeah. that that was the Look, yeah well, the date. Well, it, it would be it would be great to um, you know have national commissioners a national commissioner position. Obviously, we'd like to have had a um, a national strategy specifically targeting and dedicated to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children. And, and, and it's important to do that over the long term. So a 20-year time frame, um, while it seems a lot of years, it, it, it really isn't um, that it's really just one generation. So achieving change within a generation is a, you know, it's a major undertaking. But if we, if we really want to, if the country is serious about closing the gap, the way to do that, you have to have healthy children. You have to have healthy, healthy babies that grow into healthy children that then grow into healthy teens and then healthy adults. And so we need that comprehensive, yeah. holistic approach across the life, life course. And at the heart of it is, um, you know, the well-being of our, our children. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time this morning, Richard. We clearly cannot ignore these statistics, and it's good to see that there's a lot of work being done around this. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, George. Bye. Bye. If you'd like to hear more about that, you can check out the Family Matters report, which we'll share on our Facebook page and also the hashtag Because of Them We Must and hashtag Kids Commissioner. From October the 28th to the 31st, some of the worst climate criminals will be gathering for the International Mining Conference, IMARC, at the Melbourne Convention Centre. Blockade IMARC is an activist alliance committed to putting a stop to the mass destruction caused by extractive industries across the globe and the harm they cause to communities and ecosystems. We need your help to be part of this blockade. Find out how at blockadeimark.com 
or check out our Facebook page, Blockade iMark, a 3CR supporter. You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast. The time is 8.26 a.m. Um, you're in the studio with Zoya, Anya and George. We are just about to wrap up the show, but we're getting some news in from Blockade iMark. Uh, if you were here early on the show, Blockade iMark is a blockade that is going on down at the Melbourne Convention Centre right now against the International Mining and Resources Conference. They're trying to blockade it. Since this morning, there has been some very, very heavy police presence there. Um, we're getting some news in. Uh, Julia, a legal advisor at the blockade, the police are using very heavy tactics, including snatch squads, who are basically arrest squads that go in and try and get the organisers. They're using excessive force. Police horses are pushing right up to the crowd, blocking the entrance. Um, it's difficult for the teams to observe because there's so much happening at different spots. Um, there's a tweet from the Melbourne Activist Legal Service that have said um, that punches are being thrown by police. Horses are used up against the crowds and police are removing their name tags and capsicum spray used. That's a tweet from the Melbourne Activist Legal Service. Um, police are pushing legal observers out of the way. It sounds like there's quite a lot of police presence happening there at the moment and some questionable tactics. And so, that police are removing the name tags before yes, so tackling that, protests. Yes, so that's a tweet from Melbourne Activist Legal Service that police are removing their name tags, which you know obviously means that they're not able to be um, identified by observers or by protesters for future follow-up. So that is very, very concerning behaviour on the part of police. Yeah, mm. yeah well, we'll, we'll, Zoe and I will be heading there straight after this, won't we, to... Going. Yeah, yeah. And, we'll, and we'll be able to um, talk about that next week as well and obviously ongoing throughout the day there'll be reports coming in um, to the station mm. um, yes yeah, so that, that is that is, I think that's the, one of the really big things that observers aren't able to be able to see what's happening so yeah, we well. don't even know what's quite happening at the moment it mm. sounds extremely hectic so if you are around in the area go down take part if you can if you're not able to be fully involved if for fear of arrest um, for whatever reason, observe at least and try and report what's happening. Try and get names of police. That's really, really important. Numbers, name tags, that kind of thing. Yeah. We are almost out of time for the show. This has been a really big show. A few live crosses about Blockade Mark Again, go down Melbourne Convention Centre right now. Um, various 3CR programmes will be live throughout the day, over the week. Um, check socials. Um, 9am city limits today we'll be talking about it as well yeah. um, and we should thank all of our guests this morning yes so other than the iMark crosses uh, we had quite a few guests on the show today yes. we had um, Chris with the news headlines and we had Helen Matthews from the Women's Legal Service Australia talking about the safety first um, campaign we had Tony Bruffer from the Intersex Human Rights Australia, talking about Intersex Awareness Day that happened this last Saturday. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Adam Palmer, yes. um, about the petition Help Newlands Now. Dan uh, Dania Hawat from the Australian Lebanese United Movement talking about the protests in Lebanon at the, uh, that's happening. Yeah, extremely important issue. And we also spoke to Richard Weston, the CEO of SNAKE, about the Family Matters report and trying to decrease the number of... First Nations children in out-of-home care. Mm -hmm. Yeah, big, big show with some really important and interesting topics. Up Thanks next. for tuning in. Yes. Keep an ear out for the podcast. And up next we have uh, Giselle Hanna with Accent of Women.